guys, go ahead and um, have a seat. And then, um, but before we we dive into where we're going to go this morning, I, I want to take some time um, and sit in one of the Psalms. Um, Psalm 131 is a psalm that, that David wrote, and it was a, a song, a, a prayer the, the nation of Israel would sing as they made their way to, to the holy city. And, and they would work their way uphill, and there were a set of songs they would, they would sing and pray and press into as they were preparing to go and, and worship. And this is, this is one of them. So if you'll just, just close your eyes for a moment. And we'll pray through this psalm. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O people of God, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is a, a psalm that's very near and dear to my heart right now because I have a, a small human in my care who is in the process of, of pushing teeth out. And so um, lots and lots of nights lately of, of sitting and rocking and and that quietness and, and those of you with kids um, you're intimately aware of that quietness when, when there's a crying and a screaming and a pain and then mom mom comes or, or dad comes and, and scoops you up and there's there's just quiet And David is, is creating this prayer, this song for, for the people of God to say, that is what I want to be when I come before you. So it's my hope this morning. We, we're not going to do anything else in the Psalms. But my hope is, let's start there. Let's start somewhere quiet. Somewhere with a, a breath of relief. Because we're going to talk about the, the early days of, of the early church. We're talking about a, a guy named Saul, and, and this, this passage, this account is found in, in Acts 9. And so if you have a Bible, um, you, you can flip there and look through it. I'm going to just kind of story tell us through that. The, the guys, uh, if you need a Bible, throw a hand up. They'll hand you a Bible. Um, but before Acts 9, we get the first martyr of Christendom. We get this guy, Stephen, who angers the religious leaders in Jerusalem so much that, that they kill him. And at the end of that account, there's a guy named Saul, 
and it says he was standing there, and he was giving approval of this execution, and that the men who were, were taking large rocks and, and throwing them on Stephen, they would take their cloaks off and, and they would lay them at the feet of Saul. And Saul approved. We, we get a little later on where it says that Saul viciously viciously persecuted the church. Acts 9 opens up and says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, that if he found any who belonged to the way, he could go there and bind them. Saul Saul is passionate. Saul sees this little sect called the Way, this little sect of, of people who follow this, this man that's been executed, Jesus Christ, and he, and he sees it as a danger. He, he looks at it and says, this is, this is going to destroy the purity of, uh, of this religion that I hold so dear. This is going to bring shame on Yahweh God. This is, this is going to ruin us all because if the Romans catch wind of this, they're just going to come take everything over. And with a, a zealousness unrivaled, he starts cleaning house. He He searches out, he hunts down the, the Christians. He says that, that he was looking for men and women and he was dragging them away to prison. And he was doing a pretty good job because Acts tells us the persecution was so hot in the city of Jerusalem that, that the, the people, the believers, they started dispersing through the surrounding regions that it was only the apostles that had stayed in Jerusalem. Saul, Saul, he knows what to do. He's going to go after him. So he goes to the high priest, and he asks for letters, for warrants, to go to the city of Damascus and say, I, I, I want to stomp this out for the good of the name of God, for the worship and glory and honor of who God is, I want to go put an end to this. This is a worthy cause for my life. And so he gets the letters, and he, he sets out on the road with his, his boys, the, the guys that will help him accomplish this task. And as I'm sure many of us know the story, um, that, that did not go to plan for Saul. Acts says there was a, a bright light and Saul falls to the ground and he hears a loud voice tell him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And Saul responds, who are you, Lord? Who, who are you, Lord? And the voice responds and says, I, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. What do you do if everything you knew was right, everything you had known your entire life to be true and good, everything you had poured yourself into was wrong? How do you feel in that moment? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And so the men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard a voice but they saw nobody. And they took Saul by the hand who is blind now. And they lead him into the city and they leave him with a man And there Saul sits for three days. Can, can you imagine sitting there for three days with no sight? Nothing to look at, nothing to be distracted by, just the voices in your own head. Sitting there, wrestling with what have I done? Everything I knew is wrong. And so he sits and he doesn't eat. He sits and he prays. And he begs God for mercy. Meanwhile, there's a man named Ananias in the city. And, and Ananias gets a vision. And it says, a voice calls out to him in a vision. It says, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. It says, Ananias answered, Lord, do you know who you're talking about? Like, yes, Lord, I, I understand it's you, but you understand who this man is, right? Lord, I have heard many things about this man. I've heard from many about him, about how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and that he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Are you kidding, God? 
Like, you know who this is, right? You gave him my name? What if I don't show up now? So, so God responds to Ananias and says, Go. Go, for he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so it says, so Ananias departed, and he went to the street called Straight, to the house of the man named Judas, and he saw Saul sitting there. And can you, can you put yourself in that scene? Because what we know about Ananias um, from, from early church history is that he was very likely one of the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out in the book of Luke in the middle of his ministry. So Ananias is from that area. Ananias was there at the beginning. Ananias knows the names of the people who Saul arrested because he sat and he shared meals with them. He journeyed throughout the countryside with them. They were his brothers and his sisters. And so Ananias rolls in. And he sees this man who has caused so much pain, and so much hurt, so much So much suffering. And I can imagine if I was Ananias and I, I was standing there and I saw this man Saul, the great and powerful and mighty Saul, the man with the authority, the man with the papers, the man who hates me. He hates me. He wants me to suffer. He wants me to die. He doesn't understand anything about me. He's so blinded by what he thinks is right that he won't, he won't even see truth. And I can imagine standing there and seeing the sniveling Saul on the ground. He's blind. He hasn't eaten in three days. He's crouched there on the ground in a corner, huddled up. week. And in my own heart, I can imagine thinking, it could all be over now. But that's, that's not what Ananias does. says Ananias sees Saul and he goes to him and he, he lays his hands on him and he says brother Saul brother brother Saul
Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says, and immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see. What's the first thing Saul sees? After days, which I'm sure feels like an eternity, of not seeing anything, of being trapped in your own mind, in your own heart, wrestling over what you now know, what does he see? He sees a man named Ananias with his hands on him who calls him brother. He says he rose and he was baptized. And taking food began to regain his strength. Saul, who, who would then become known as Paul, had a very radical encounter with grace. One that if we just sterilize the pages of scripture and, and just read what's black and white there, if we, if we don't try to get into it, can seem simple. But it was far more than that for Saul. Now, if you fast forward to, to Acts 18, we get a picture of, of Paul, Saul, and he's, he's now in the city of Corinth. And, and, and this is about 15, 16 years removed from that time on the floor in Damascus with Ananias. And Paul has, has, from that point, he has gone and he has, he has pressed into, into Jesus. And he's, he's followed where he is called. He's pressed into the Spirit of God, and, and, and he has been led all over the known world at that point. He's been attacked and imprisoned and beaten and wrongfully arrested and despised and ridiculed. If nothing else, you've got to give it to Saul. He's a passionate guy, right? And so in Corinth, he, he hooks up with a couple of people there who, who help support him while he can, he can preach the gospel. And the thing that Paul does every time he goes into a new city is he always goes to the synagogue first. He goes to the place where all of the Jewish leaders, all of the, all of the Jewish people would come and gather and they would sit and learn. And, and, and it, was, it was likely the schoolhouse for the young Jewish boys. It was likely the, the place where they would come and discuss the community matters within their Jewish community. And so he would go and he would teach Jesus at these synagogues. 
so he rolls into Corinth and he begins teaching in the synagogue there. And it says in verse 6, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. I've tried. I've taught you. I've shown you. But from now on, we'll go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue, and Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And so Paul, begging the Jewish leaders there, trying to show them that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the one they were waiting for. He was the one that all of the Old Testament scriptures pointed to. And and they chased him out. They, They reviled him. They insulted him. They, they opposed him. They put their face against him. Paul says, fine, I'm out. I've, I've shown you what I can show you. I'm out. And I love Paul because he's brazen enough just to basically go next door and set up a church right next door to the synagogue. And it says he was there for a year and a half and he was teaching and and preaching and proclaiming the word of God and pointing people to Jesus and that the ruler of the synagogue, the man who all of those Jews looked to, he came to Jesus. And as he's there, towards the end of his, his year and a half in Corinth, The Jews are just so vehement with anger. They're so against Paul. They sit in their synagogue and they look next door and they see all of the people coming and going and the singing and the laughing and the community and the caring for each other. And they can't can't stand it. They do exactly what the Jewish leaders did to Jesus. They, they go to the governor. They go to the proconsul, um, the, the, the guy named Galileo. And they look at him and they say, we're, we're, we want to bring a complaint up about this guy named Paul. He's, he's preaching and teaching about a God that is not the true God. And Galileo looks at them and says, whoa. Before Paul can even respond, before Paul can even bring his defense up, Gallio looks at the Jewish leaders and he says, are are you kidding me? Surely, if this was a matter of state, or if this was a civil suit, that's one thing. I'll listen to that, and I'll pass judgment on that. But if this is a matter of names in your own silly religion, I want nothing to do with it. Go figure it out yourselves. And Paul, being a Roman citizen, protected, walks away, innocent. And it says that that Gallio drove them from the tribunal. 
and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to this. So Sosthenes, the new chief of the synagogue, leads an attack on Paul, and it fails. And they turn on him, and they beat him in the public square. Now this is I, I always want to be very clear when this is when there's conjecture versus what we actually see in scripture, but I'll show you why this is what I think it is. I think Paul watched this. I think Paul watched as the Jewish community leaders turned on Sosthenes and beat him down. And I can imagine Paul, excuse me, walking up to Sosthenes and standing over him and Sosthenes looking up through a bloody eye thinking, here it comes. And Paul instead reaching down, saying, Brother Sosthenes. And the reason I think that is because if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul opens his letter up to the Corinthian church, to the, the church in that city, years after he had been there. He says to the church in Corinth, from the apostle Paul, along with our brother Sosthenes. A radical experience with grace will show you that there are no unwanted guests in the company of Jesus. A radical experience of grace will lead you to see how big and how good and how loving our God is. And who would we be not to extend that? radical experience of grace will fill us with the fear of the Lord. Not terror fear. Not fear that he's going to strike me down. But an awe-inspired fear. A realization of how little you are and how big God is. How broken, how helpless how sick, 
we are and how giant and mighty and powerful and ferociously God pursues us. think as Saul is sitting there on the ground blind everything was playing through his head he had nothing to do for three days except play the tape of his life through his head over and over and over again to see how far he had wronged God. And then the first thing he sees is Ananias calling him brother. And he sees the the grace of God. If that doesn't lead us to that awestruck fear of the Lord, I don't know what will. I, I love, in Acts 9, if you, if you keep reading past that, that conversion account of Saul, he finally makes his way down to Jerusalem. And while he's in Jerusalem, he, he, he gets there, and all the believers are looking at him kind of with like a, that side eye like uh what's he doing here like we've heard reports that he's turned a corner but i don't i don't trust him what if this is all a ruse what if he's what if he's just trying to get in here to get at us and they distance themselves from him until a guy named barnabas rolls up and says i'll I'll vouch for him. And Saul goes out from there and he begins preaching that Jesus is the Christ throughout the whole city of Jerusalem. And everybody heard it. And everybody saw it. And everybody looked at it and said, wait a minute, wasn't that 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 Saul? Wasn't that the guy that just got papers from us so that he could go crush this thing? What's happened? And it it says that, in Acts 9, it says, And so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. When those who were around Saul saw what happened, They were blown away at how big and how good and amazing God is. The same people who had sat in fear waiting for that guy to knock on their door and drag them away now saw what God had done, how God was in control, how God is working all things to his glory in his name. And they were filled with fear of how big God is and comfort from the Holy Spirit about how big God is. And so the, the band's going to come up, 
and, and we're going to take some time, some time for reflection. Because this is a great story. But ultimately, it depends what you'll do with the story. We, we build this, this time in. We don't, we don't just sing songs at the end of our service because that's what we've always done. We sing songs because corporate worship is designed to give rest to the weary sinner. Because a guy like Paul, who realized how much, how much God had pursued him and loved him, found his strength in singing songs while he was sitting in prison. While he was traveling through the countryside. So this is a time for you to reflect. Maybe you need to to just sit for a little while. And maybe you need to remember that time when God came. That time when God showed up and you realized how small you were and how big God is. Or maybe, maybe you're like me, and maybe there wasn't that one point, but you've seen over and over and over again the grace of God show up. Maybe you've seen, I am broken, but God was there. I saw it in his community. I saw it in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I saw it when I I would take communion and I I would drink that cup of, of grape juice and remember the blood spilled, or I would break that bread and remember the body broken. I I I can look back and I can see how good God has been. And that a radical experience of grace will lead me to extend that grace to others. Maybe you need to sit. Maybe you need to put your head in your hands for a moment. And you need to remember Maybe, maybe in this time, it's time for you to stand and sing and lift your voices high. Because our God is good. And he has saved us. And that should fill us with the fear of the Lord. Maybe, maybe you need that comfort from the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to put yourself in God's way. Maybe you're sitting right now and it's been dark for three days and you don't know what to do and you don't know what's coming next. Maybe, maybe you need counsel. 
Maybe you need to talk. Maybe you need to pursue the men and women here who want to be an ear for you, who want to be a a shoulder for you, who want to walk alongside you, not as, as people who have it all together, but as brothers and sisters who are along the way with you. doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because the grace that saved us then is the same grace that saves us now. And it will be the same grace that saves us on the other side. But will you press into that? pray and we'll sing and we'll, we'll continue worshiping together and God we, we would pray that you would be pressing on our hearts that you would be softening us, that you would be massaging the parts of us that, that need to be exposed God that we could, could just not help but sit and realize how broken we are that you would press us and challenge us to look and say, how, how could we look at anybody else and say, they don't deserve your grace? God, may we be a people of open arms. May we be a people that reach down and say, Brother, Brother Saul, Brother Sosthenes, sister of mine. May we always sit in that grace. Here's our heart, Lord. Please show up and do a work in us. It's in your name we pray. It's in your name we sing. It's in your name that we press into you. Amen.